Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. I'd like to turn your attention on uh, this day back to Ephesians chapter 5. I want to read starting at verse 15. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So what should we do in evil times? You know, the days we're living in is this is not the time for careless living. Amen. This is a time where we're supposed to shore up areas where we've become sloppy. You know, if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, I would encourage you to even reestablish Christian disciplines in your life. The things that you practice every day to 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 maintain that constant connection, that uh, the awareness of that constant connection with God, you know, whether that be praying, meditating the scripture, reading the scripture, fasting, worship, whatever that is that you do. Man, this is the time to to re, to shore up those things. Amen. It's also a time to be very intentional about resisting things of the world, even seamlessly small things like thoughts and habits, you know, little things enter into your mind. And if they they're left unchecked, they'll grow and they can become strongholds in your mind. Right. Wrong thinking can become a stronghold in your mind that Satan then can use later to keep you from entering fully into what God has for you. We don't want strongholds in our lives. Amen. So he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Verse 17, therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I've been preaching uh, from the book of Ephesians for some time, and we've covered it several times, how God, God's will is not supposed to be a mystery to those of us who are walking with him. He's revealed his will through the spirit. He's revealed his will in the scriptures. We're not supposed to be wandering aimlessly down here. Come on, we've got a job to do. And he's told us what that job is. And we need to stay on task. Amen. amen. And so he says, um, uh, understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And verse 20, giving thanks always. Somebody say, giving thanks always. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is obviously our Thanksgiving meal, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. So how appropriate to preach from this verse in Ephesians, a message on Thanksgiving. Amen. So I want to bring you a message today about giving thanks. Uh, Bruce, if you can write this down, this is going to be Ephesians part six. We'll just call it always giving thanks. Okay. Um, I looked up this passage in a, a Bible commentary, and this is what the commentator said. The spirit filled believers know that God is for them and that circumstances cannot be the source of joy and peace. The character of God and his promises and actions are what gives believers peace and joy. That's why you and I can have peace and joy, even though sometimes we look around and see all the craziness happening in the world. Our happiness, our joy, our peace, our gratitude is not connected to the things of the world. It's connected to God through the Holy Spirit. And that's why we get to walk in peace, even when other people can be in turmoil. 
because we're connected to something that's bigger than us, that's a lot more peaceful than us and more powerful than us, and that's God. And so, I mean, I'm so grateful for the time uh, and place that I get to live. And I'm glad I was born in America in the time I was born in, you know, got to see what I got to see. I got to experience the freedoms that we have. And we do need to protect our freedoms. We do need to stand for truth. But, you know, for most of the world, Christianity existed in the fires of opposition. For most of all time throughout the whole world, even today, there's persecution for the church everywhere there is. So Christianity existed in the fires of opposition, has actually thrived in the most unforgiving and hostile environments. You see, when you read the Bible and you see how the, the great heroes of faith, as we would call them, the main characters in the Bible, how they lived, if you're not careful, you might actually come to the conclusion that we were actually made to face challenges. Yeah, I pause for effect. That was sarcasm because we were made to face challenges. Amen. Right. We are made to overcome difficulty. We are made to engage the enemy. See, what? listen, what if God is still at war in his mind? What if he's still at war and his church and his army is just down here seeking comforts and pleasure? How would he feel, man? How would you feel? You know, when King David was busy leading the troops out to war. He was good with God, man, man after God's own heart. It is when he chose the pleasures of the palace that he got into all that trouble with Bathsheba, right? Think about that. Come on, you and I weren't made for the palace. We're made for the battlefield. We've got a mission to do. We're here for a reason. Let's not neglect our duties. Let's stay at our post and be found faithful when he returns, amen? So today, believe it or not, I know I got off. But I want to talk to you about thankfulness. I want to talk to you about um, four things, four reasons to practice thanksgiving, okay? Um, this is not four things to be thankful for, because we could all come up with four things to be thankful for. I'm thankful for air. You know, I'm thankful for my mom. I'm thankful. Yeah, okay, I'm not talking about four things to be thankful for. I'm talking about four reasons to practice thankfulness, okay? These are four things that being thankful will do for you. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to repeat them. I'll say them once. I'll put them on the screen. I even prepared slides today. It's a super special day when I do that. Um, if you need to hear it again, Bruce will have it up on Spotify next week. But number one uh, reason to practice thankfulness, a thankful person can receive things freely from God. It's easier to receive when you're being thankful. Thankfulness is the predisposition of the heart that receives from God. Why is that? The reason is because humility and thankfulness run together. Humility and thankfulness are friends. Amen. In fact, I would go so far as to say thankfulness, being thankful, true gratitude from the heart is an expression of humility. Right? Because unthankfulness is, is, a, is akin to pride, if you want to think about it. The ungrateful person either believes he doesn't need what you're offering or he can get it himself by earning it, right? And if he thinks he can get it himself, he, then he thinks he deserves it because of something he's done. It's, and that mindset makes it very difficult to receive grace gifts. You know, that's maybe a fine attitude toward the world. Come on, we want to be self-sufficient in Christ. I don't need anything from the world. I'm content with a lot, with a little. I'm not looking to, to you to meet my needs, right? I'm not looking to the world to meet my needs. I'm not looking to the others to meet my needs. But when it comes to receiving from God, sometimes he wants to use one another to bless you. I mean, I love, I, you know, the Bible talks about it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's true. But I've had to learn how to receive. 
And you know what you do? You say, thank you. And you mean it from your heart and you humble yourself and you say, thank you. Because thankfulness, gratitude, and humility run together. First Peter 5, 5, it says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Gratitude opens the door to receive from God, but unthankfulness will shut you out altogether. It will close the door. Um, you remember the passage. It was, it's, a, it's quite lengthy, but it's in Romans chapter 1, starts at verse 18. I'm going to read a portion of it. You can go read the rest of it yourself. But it talks about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness they suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Verse 21, this is what I want to hit. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They did not honor him or give him thanks. So they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. And it goes on. It talks about claiming to be wise. They became fools. And you can read it. And it goes on to describe really the times we're living in today as, it, as you go on. And so what, what was the trouble here? What was the problem? Was it, was it a problem of a lack of knowledge? No, it says they clearly knew. But what they did was they, they didn't show gratitude toward God. They didn't express thankfulness to God. So thankfulness toward God will open up the, the blessings and provisions of heaven to you. Unthankfulness will shut you out altogether. So thankfulness, thankfulness helps you to receive freely from God. Number two, thankfulness is the will of God for you. I, I, I read that this morning, that verse, uh, First uh, Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ. So thankfulness is the will of God for you. Can you say that with me? Say thankfulness is the will of God for me. Ready? Thankfulness is the will of God for me. You know, uh, I can't tell you for sure that just by being thankful, you'll be entirely in the will of God, right? You could be doing things that are outside of the will of God with a thankful heart, right? Okay. But what I can tell you is if no matter what you're doing, if you're unthankful, you're not in the will of God. Because thankfulness is the will of God for you. And so many times we, you know, we, we go to God and what's the will for my, what's God, what's your will for my life? What do you want me to do? God, what's your will for my family? What's your will for my church? It's to be thankful. What's your will for my family? Be thankful. What's your will for my church? Be thankful. You know, let's start with the black and white, what's written, a clear command. Let's start with being thankful and start doing what we know to do and watch God start to lead you in the more specific areas. Amen. Amen. I mean, maybe some of you are called to go be missionaries on the other side of the world. Wouldn't doubt it. Wouldn't doubt it for a second. We've got several on the other side of the world right now uh, serving God, you know. But, but what's the place to start? Be thankful. Start with what you know and watch God open up opportunities to you. Watch him just lay out a path before you that's just plain so that you can run in it and walk in it. Amen. And that's good. So how can, you know, how can we lead God's army in these evil days and, and move forward when we can't carry out the simplest of commands? Come on, be thankful. 
Be thankful. What would be the opposite of being thankful? What would be the opposite of giving thanks? It says give thanks in all circumstances. What would be the opposite of that? You know, uh, if I'm not a grateful person, what am I? Ungrateful, right? That's the first one, right? Ungrateful. What else can you think of anymore? Complainer. That's good. Mumbler. Oh, yeah. Murmur. Yeah. The Scrooge. Yes, he's yeah. Christmas, Christmasly speaking. Yeah. Well, how about unappreciative? Yeah, that's good. Entitled. Oh, that one. Yeah, that's good. Entitled. Ungracious. There's a place you don't want to be outside of grace, man. I need God's grace every day, and so do you. Nobody in here doesn't need grace. Uh, selfish. Proud. Arrogant. Ingrate. Ingrate pessimistic. I'll go with that. Yeah. So, you know, uh, look at the company that unthankfulness keeps, man. Understand this. In the last days, there's coming times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. It's the ungeneration, isn't it? Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless. It goes on, man. Reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Man, if the power of God is working in your life, it produces thankfulness, not these things. Let God grab a hold of your heart, man. This is not something that, you know, it's not, it's not like you need to be more thankful. That's what I say to my kids, right? But what I want you to hear is, man, God wants to do a work in your heart so that you can be thankful from your heart. So number three, thankfulness lets you live above your circumstances. Thankfulness lets you live above your circumstances. Thankfulness offers you a different perspective. Come on, perspective is everything. And living a life of thankfulness allows you to see the big picture of what's going on. I want to give you just a mini sermon here on Joshua and Caleb. Moses led the people out of Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. And they're camped out and they're, they're really, they're ready to enter the promised land. And if they would have obeyed God, they would have entered the promised land. The whole generation of them would have been there and they could have started their new future. But uh, they didn't. And that's when they ended up with 40 years in the wilderness. Okay, so here's the story. You'll find it in Numbers chapter 13. Look at verse one. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel from each tribe of their fathers. You shall send a man, everyone the chief among them. So he's just got this strategy to take men from every tribe of Israel and go in there and spy out the land. If you'll skip down to verse 17, it gives them instructions. It says, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. He said to them, go up into the Negeb and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell there are strong or weak, whether they are many or few, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not. Okay, they're just trying to scope out the land here, really. And uh, uh, 
uh, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. And it was a time of the season for the first ripe grapes. And so they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob uh, near Lebo Hamath, which I have no idea where those places are, but I guess if you wanted to, you could find them on a map. But basically, they're just they're 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 about to make a military campaign. They're about to invade the land, and they want to inspect. They want to see are the cities fortified? Are the camp encampments? What's going on? Is is it a place? You know how? What's our strategy? How are we going to take the land? If you look at verse twenty-five, at the end of forty days, so they're going through the land for forty days. They returned, and they said in verse twenty-seven, "We came to the land to which you sent us." It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So, I mean, if you read the whole story, I mean, they two men carried a bunch of grapes on a pole between them. That's how big the clusters of grapes were, okay? So they were, I mean, they were bringing back just this massive food, and it was a rich and beautiful land. Um, and so here's the fruit, but then verse 27, however, what's another way of saying however? But, but, you know, I mean, it's a good land, but. However, how many times do we have good things that we want to do and great expectations in our lives? We even feel called, but there's a but that would keep you out, right? Come on, we've got to get over the, the howevers in our life and just go on with God. Amen. So they said, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides and they go on and talk about the descendants of Anak and, and uh, uh, just a, a fierce people who dwell up in the hill country and descendants of the giants, you know, the, uh, the, uh, um, the Nephilim and all this stuff. And so they're saying, we can't take it. They're too big. They're too strong. Their cities are fortified. We can't do it. And Caleb, he quieted the people because they're getting stirred up. And he says, let's go up at once and occupy it because we're able to overcome it. Come on, that's the attitude that God wants us to have. Let's go right now. God promised it to me. Let's take it now. You know, that's one of the things I think that, that we're probably guilty of as a movement. We tend to put off things into the future that God wants to do today. Think about that. When did Jesus die on the cross? Come on, he already did die on the cross, didn't he? He already paid the price for, for your salvation. Right? That's why he says, today is the day of salvation. So why are we waiting for the future, something that God has already done in the past? I was listening to a man, a, 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 healing, um, a healing evangelist, uh, who I, I really love. I, I've, I've mentioned him before, and actually I've got him coming here in, the first, uh, in January. I'm looking forward to meetings, services with him. But he was preaching one time, and I'd been working in the cabinet shop, and I had been... Um, I worked on my feet all day long and my feet were just, I mean, they were killing me. They were hurting bad. I was taking, um, I couldn't find sports tape. So I'd wrap my ankle and my arches in black tape on this one leg, black electrical tape. You know, I'm talking about just, and I'm sitting there and, and it's, it's, it's in pain, man. I, and I don't know what it is. And I'm, I went out into, um, I had a place at that time in my garage where I would go out and, and, pray and read my Bible and stuff like that. And so I went out and I put on a preaching, a sermon by him. And uh, he was preaching about healing. And he said something. He said, God in heaven, heaven has already done everything he's going to do about your healing. Why? Because Jesus already went to the cross. He already took the, the stripes. He said, heaven has already done. And I heard that. And he said, well, that's true. So I got up and I untaped my foot. Didn't feel anything, but it was better. 
Because why? I believe is a perspective. Of, perspective is everything. If God can always keep us looking into the future when God's going to do, instead of realizing that God has already moved in Christ, he's waiting for you and I to move. We've got to step out and say, come on, let's go. We can overcome them because God's given us this land. And then Caleb said, let's go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. Man, that thing that you're facing, that that promised land that God has for you, let's go today and take it. Because I'm telling you, I'm speaking for the Lord, you are ready to overcome it. You are able to overcome it with the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. But then the men who had gone up with him said, come on, there's always going to be these people in your life. We are not able to go against the people because they're stronger than we are. And listen to what the Bible says. They brought out the people, brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land. Okay, the land was great. They said the land was wonderful, flowing with milk and honey. What made this a bad report? The fact that they couldn't go. The fact that they were saying they were too strong. And so they said, the land which we've got out to spy, it devours its inhabitants. And the people we saw in it are great height. And listen to verse 33. We saw there the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. We looked like grasshoppers to ourselves standing next to them. Perspective is everything, isn't it? Perspective is everything. How do you see yourself? Are you a grasshopper somewhere hiding in the hills away from the Antichrist in these last days? Or are you a warrior? So Caleb in verse eight, in verse eight of the next chapter, he says, if the Lord delights in us, he'll bring us into this land and give it to us. The land flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred to us. I like that. They are bred to us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. They're bred to us. Listen to that. What if the devil would ever come to the place where he finds out that the things that he's using to keep you out of God's promises for your life, that you can take and you can eat them like bread and it'll actually make you better. What would happen if he discovers to his horror that the things that he's been pumping into this world to destroy us actually make us better, stronger, more resolved and more powerful? Come on, let God make those things bread unto you. Amen. Let that challenge excite you and stir you up, not hold you back. You know, men and women of God, they're forged in the fiery furnace. Come on, read the Bible, read your Bible. They're refined in the lion's den. They're discovered on a battlefield. And Paul says in Romans, he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. Character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Man, the Bible doesn't promise that nothing bad is ever going to happen in the world. He's now doesn't promise that nothing bad is ever going to ever going to, you know, try to happen to you. But man, he's going to be with you through it. He'll deliver you from it. Amen. Come on. We've all gone through stuff, but we're not going to melt. We're going to stand strong. We're going to allow God to make it bread unto us. And we're going to become better, stronger, and more resolved. Amen. Amen. So thankfulness to God in all circumstances. Listen to this. When you're thankful to God in all circumstances, it demonstrates both to God and to the world and to the demons and the devil that I can live independently of my circumstances. 
And if I can live independently of my circumstances, then the devil has lost his ability to manipulate me through circumstances. See, it makes me a free agent. It makes me free to serve God. That's what it does. Because I'm not coming off this wall until we're done. Anybody remember that old song we used to sing? Ain't gonna lay my armor down. Ain't gonna lay my armor down. Anybody sing that? Or was that just a Midwest thing where I'm from? Ain't gonna lay my armor down till he comes. Yeah, as a Midwest, you don't know. Come on, you guys, we need to, we need to do it. And it's not gonna run when the battle gets hard. Not gonna run when the battle gets hard. Not gonna run when the battle gets hard till he comes. Come on, we got a job to do. Stay on the wall. Stay on task. So number four. Thankfulness keeps your prayers on point. Thankfulness keeps your prayers on point. Um, you know, I, I, this this is so tied in with the the other ones as well. Because, you know, I talked about, uh, you know, Thanksgiving. Um, it has to do with your perspective, right? Thanksgiving helps you to receive from God. As you go to pray with the attitude of Thanksgiving, it, it, it's so tied in with receiving from God, your answers to your prayer. It's your, it's so tied in with, um, as you pray, what perspective are you praying from? Are you praying from a perspective of victory, like the words of Caleb, or are you praying from a perspective of defeat, you know? Why mix Thanksgiving with your prayer? The, the, the obvious answer is because it's better than mixing your prayer with worry, fear, and unbelief. Right? Better to be thankful than to be worried and afraid and, and not believing. If you know that your God answers your prayers, it only makes sense then to come to him with thanksgiving. Have you ever prayed an unthankful prayer? That was a rhetorical question you don't have to answer. <laughs> but yeah, come on. <laughs> By a show of hands, no. <laughs> By a show of hands, how many of you guys know somebody who might have prayed an unthankful prayer? <laughs> Not asking for me, asking for a friend. God, how did you let this happen? Oh, God, I've had enough of this. Yeah, unthankful prayer. It's not how you talk to God. Get that attitude with your enemy, but be thankful toward God. Amen. Effective praying has everything to do with your faith and your trust and your rest in God. So victorious prayers begin begin from a place of victory in Him. Okay, You are not drowning in your problems. If you are in Christ, you are seated with Him in heavenly places. Okay, That's different from being overwhelmed and overcome by the circumstances. That's different than being over uh, uh, underneath all the oppression and all the things that the world is putting on you. That's being seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That's, that's the place, that's the perspective that our prayers need to come from. Amen. So my question is this. Did Paul, who wrote this in Ephesians, he wrote, he wrote most of the verses I read today. How did the Apostle Paul, did he embody all this? How did he live this out in his life? I mean, he probably, he probably embodied this more than anybody. He's not writing just, you know, platitudes here that, that you know, you know, he's just sitting there thinking, man, I need to write a letter to the Ephesians. What should I say? What should I say? What should I say? Hey, let me talk about thankfulness. That'd be, no, he's writing from his experience. When he says to be thankful, he's lived this out, right? He's done it. 
He says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, I'm not speaking from a being in need because I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Look at that. Whatever situation I am, I'm content. Doesn't matter what my circumstances are. I've learned how to be content in every circumstance. Why? Because his contentment wasn't connected to the world or to his circumstances or to having enough or having a little. He was content because he's connected to God. If you're not connected to God today, you can be connected to God. You can find your contentment in Jesus Christ. He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he tops it all off with, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Come on, can you say that with me today? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever you're facing today, man, you can do it through Christ who strengthens you. Come on, they could have went over there and taken the land. They could have followed Caleb's lead and taken it because God was ready to strengthen them and deliver it into their hands. They could have taken it right then. Instead, it cost that whole generation dying in the wilderness. God got to the point and he said, I'm not going to deal with you anymore. You're going to stay out here. You're going to die and your children are going into the promised land. Man, let's lead our kids into the promised land. I don't want God to look at this generation and say, I'm just waiting. God, what are you waiting for? I'm waiting for you to die because I want to take your kids somewhere that I couldn't take you. We have a responsibility to lead our families, to lead this generation. We say all the time, children are the future. And that's true. I know what you're saying, but I want to say it again. I say this all the time. You are their future. You have the responsibility to lead them and direct them, not to allow them to find their own course. Because I'm telling you, if you don't take your responsibility to lead them in the way that they should go, like the Bible teaches, somebody else will. And they'll lead them and train them in the way that they should not go. So we are their future. God, don't let me be a man who you have to wait till I die so you can take my kids into the fullness of what you have for us. Let me lead my family in there, in this generation. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. In other words, Paul is saying, circumstances don't move me. They don't dictate to me my assignment. They don't reveal to me what the will of God is for my life. Think about that one. Circumstances do not dictate to you what the will of God is for your life. They, they were looking at the land. God's will was for them to go into the land, but circumstances looked the opposite. And what did they do? I was like, I'm going with the circumstances. Mm -mm. If God's given you something, don't expect everything to immediately line up. But press into what he has and watch the giants fall before you. And my circumstances will not limit what I can do for God. Amen. So here's Paul, the apostle. About midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. What prisoners? They were in prison. They set a woman free who had a demon, they healed her, and all of a sudden the whole town just turned on them. And they beat him up and they dragged him up. They got him arrested. They'd been attacked by this mob. Then they'd been arrested, and you can read it. It's in Acts 16, 25. They were beaten again 
after, after the mob had their way, they arrested them and they beat them with rods, okay? This is, this is Roman punishment. I mean, the Romans could just beat you to a bloody pulp. So they beat them with rods, and then they throw them into prison, and it says their legs were locked in the stocks. And I mean, that's torture. You understand? That's not for comfort. They were in there, and it was they were being tortured in prison. And it says in verse 26, or verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. In verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Come on. Everybody's bonds were unfastened. Look, if Paul was sitting there worried, you wouldn't have known it. Think about that with me. In your mind, put yourself in that prison with Paul, beaten up in the stocks, singing hymns to God. If he's worried, man, what's wrong with you, Paul? He's sitting there. What, he's not sitting there worried, thinking about who he's going to call in the morning to come and help him get out. He's not sitting there trying to write up his defense because when he goes to trial, he's got to make a case for himself. What's he doing? He's sitting there singing praise to God. Why? Because he's learned how to live independent of his circumstances. But look at what God is able to do in the life of somebody who's truly thankful for God. Come on, there are prison doors that need to be busted open in your life. Jesus came to set the captive free and a thankful heart will take us there. Amen. Amen. A thankful heart will take us there.